Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, which covers the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive health startups and leaders. So you are listening to one of our first 20 episodes. So first of all, thank you so much for listening. As you can imagine with the podcast, they get more and more popular, which ours certainly did after episode 20. So we started giving proper introductions, long introductions, and we upgraded our equipment and everything like that. So that's why you're hearing from me now, because we're putting this at the start of every one of those first 20 episodes. So I am your host. My name is James Someru. I'm an anesthetics and intensive care doctor by background. So I practiced for five years. I did loads of different jobs in policy and leadership within the UK NHS. I've run two different health tech accelerators to help startups grow, access different markets in the UK and abroad. And now I'm a co-founder of HS and we build, scale and invest in the best health tech startups. So if you want to get in touch with us, then head on over to the description of this podcast. In there, you will find all of the links to our social media, website, emails, etc. So click on those, follow us, let us know what you think of the podcast and feel free to suggest any guests. Hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Connect with us. Let us know what you think. Welcome to this week's episode of the HS podcast. Uh, my name's James. I'm one of the founders of HS. And with me this week, I have Alex Gilbert from Meadowpad, who use remote monitoring technology and artificial intelligence to help clinicians to detect life-threatening conditions. Now, I first met Meadowpad and Dan, one of the founders of Meadowpad, a few years ago when I ran my previous accelerator. And we helped them get their technology into the NHS. And since then, it's fair to say they've done some amazing things, yeah. which I'm sure we will dive into. Um, actually, leading to KPMG naming mm. them a $1 billion health tech company in the making. Mm. Um, so welcome, Alex. How are you doing? Hi. Hi, James. Um, thank you so much for, for having me on here. I'm doing quite well. It's been a very, very busy start to the year, but, um, but we're, we're getting there slowly. Awesome. So for our listeners, Alex, why don't you tell us your story? Um, yeah, sure. So um, I, I've been working within the life science pharmaceutical sector for a while, but in different ways. Um, so I initially actually started working within executive search. And I was working mostly and predominantly with um, senior executives in life sciences businesses um, to essentially place them into new positions. Um, I did that for a while and then slowly started to sort of edge my way into digital health when the sector started really growing, um, which then eventually led to me sort of both doing a lot of digital health work for pharma, but also um, consulting um, regarding commercial and, um, and commercial and general sort of ops for digital health startups in London. Um, Metapad were actually one of my clients and I ended up joining them, I think as employee number eight, um, somewhere around a year, and, a year and 10 months ago or something. Um, initially to do two things, one of which was to grow the business internally through talent and the second was to grow the business externally through partnerships. Um, I did both up until quite recently, which I was very lucky to do. Um, I headed up the talent function of the business for a while, got us from eight to around 90 people. Um, and then on the flip side of that, sort of um, have helped us build up the life sciences part of the business, um, as well as um, some other commercial successes. I am um, a couple of months ago pivoted fully to focus on the on the partnerships. Um, we've we've obviously built up quite a good 
Bhutan portion. And essentially what we're doing now is establishing Metapad as the leading, hopefully, global um, digital supplier of health services. Very cool. So just rolling back a bit, what was it that you were doing before digital health and what brought you towards digital health? Yeah, definitely. So most of what I was doing really was working with executive leadership in sort of top 20 pharmaceutical companies and really helping them both get a good understanding of their careers and you know, helping them then navigate the sort of complex environment that led them to whatever the next opportunity was. I also did quite a lot of sort of advisory type services for the same companies. Um, so sort of helping them with their talent strategy, what they were, what they needed to look at. And one of the, I think one of the things that continually came up in conversation, both as an area of interest, but also as something that a lot of people were talking about as being really the future of the industry was digital health. And, you know, that went hand in hand with things such as um, value-based healthcare and, and the, the sort of industry moving towards that, but also the need for the life sciences business to engage more with the patient. And, you know, really seeing the, not so much the beginnings, but maybe the beginnings of the growth that we're seeing, starting really within the industry and seeing people starting to sort of get interested, got me um, really focused on, you know, starting to work within that space. And um, I think I was one of the first sort of people within the field that I was working in to really focus on digital health, um, which then in and of itself led to many opportunities and sort of the development of, of the expertise that I, that I um, developed over the years after that. And then, you know, once, once you've sort of worked with, I guess, some of the more senior people and some of the large sort of businesses within the industry, um, that sort of lent itself quite well to potentially learning from them and then teaching and maybe sharing that knowledge with smaller companies or growing companies who were really looking to expand into that space and were really trying to figure out what they were doing. So, you know, then I started sort of doing that commercial consulting piece um, with digital health startups, um, which was very interesting. You know, I was working with quite a few different businesses and it was really interesting to see how differently people were approaching problems. But ultimately, you know, what I was noticing in the industry was that although there were so many amazing companies out there, um, many of them were ultimately too niche to solve the entire problem for the patient. Um, you know, the reality is, is that patients and, and physicians and pharma companies aren't going to use, you know, 15 to 20 different solutions to try and solve one problem. Um, you know, everybody wants to have something simple. So Metapad was the first company that I came across that really had the ambition to become that you know, one or at least holistic solution. Um, and that's what really attracted me to, to end up joining the business. That's a really interesting point, actually. I mean, we've talked about it in previous podcasts that often in healthcare, you know, you get very passionate founders, um, often from healthcare itself, be that as clinicians or otherwise, that really spot a problem locally and develop a solution locally. So you do get quite a lot of localism. Um, and, and as you say, it's very rare to have the ambition to become what, KPMG is, is named us, which is, you know, a, health, a billion dollar health tech company in the making. It's it is quite rare. There's not many companies in the UK that will do what you guys have done in terms of raising the amount of money or, or scaling into all the different areas and partnerships and things. It's it's really interesting. I was going to ask you, you know, what made you move to Meadowpad? And it sounds like you've already answered the question there and that you saw yeah. that growth and opportunity potential in the sector and in fact, the company. Mm. Well, I think, you know, it was it was a really difficult time for Metapad around that time when I joined, you know, that that was 
pre-funding, um, we were in a small basement in Victoria. There was, I was employee number eight. And we really, you know, we knew that we had something interesting, but we didn't really know how interesting it was. We didn't know what the potential could be. And I think the benefit that I had is really, I more or less spent, you know, two years doing market research on what people would buy inadvertently, you know, not with, not because I, I wanted to, but because most of my time was spent, you know, talking to people who would purchase these kinds of solutions and talk to them about what, why they weren't purchasing them. And the thing that continually came up was that, you know, uh, that they just couldn't do it in an easy way. You know, if you're doing a project from a life sciences perspective in digital health and you're doing it with someone externally, the likelihood is, is that it's one going to take a very long time to set up because you're likely going to have to do a lot of development. But then also beyond that, you're only going to be limited to that one project. You know, there's not going to be um, a lot of opportunity to take it into different directions because the company will likely be very focused. Similarly, from a hospital perspective, you know, if you're looking at that sort of integration to the EMR and, you know, that further sort of usability outside of that, hospitals aren't going to be integrating, you know, sort of, you know, 500 different apps into the EMR um, to fully support the patient. Um, so those two things hand in hand really, really let me realize, I think, what the value of the opportunity was. And then, you know, the, the rest is history, I guess. You know, we, we I think, signed the funding maybe eight or nine months into, um, into me joining. Um, so, you know, the, the fundraiser just, I think, started when, when I joined. Sure. And I think was very much, the amount of money that we raised was very much down to, one, the potential that we had, but also I think Dan's vision and the applicability of that vision. I think that, you know, one of the, one of the things in digital health, and, you know, the further thing really that attracted me here is that I think most and many founders in general, not just in digital health, but in general, go into certain industry sectors or certain or start certain companies because they want to you know, sell in four or five years or you know, they want to make a turnaround or something along those lines. What I think separates Dan very much is that Dan, he's a lifer. You know, he, he very much wants to build a business that is going to be here for the next 50, 100, 200, 300 years. Yeah. Um, and that in and of itself, I think helps set us apart because then our ambitions are a lot larger. Um, you know, we're not necessarily fully focused on just the valuation or on just the fundraising. A lot of it is down to, okay, well, what can we do now to make sure that we can generate long-term impact? How would you say that Dan's influence and that vision has affected the culture of Meadowpad? Because I imagine, you know, coming from the corporate world and then jumping into the startup, and I've been to that basement in Victoria as well. I've seen that space. You know, there's a very no few, windows, very few windows. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Um, yeah, what was the culture like when you moved there, and, and how does that vision affect um, what you know the day to day life? I guess that that you were experiencing in a startup. Yeah, no, I think um, you know it was. You sort of go to from that point from you know not believing something and not believing in something and thinking oh this is crazy to then slowly realizing that oh, okay this is crazy but we could actually do it um, and then you get to that point where you start actually doing it and you're like oh well it doesn't look like it's so crazy after all and I think when I joined I definitely knew that I was taking a risk um, in the sense that you know this was a very small company with very large aspirations but you know, I think in an industry like this, it's sort of, it's a, it's a go big or go home kind of situation. Yeah. You know, there's, when there's not a lot of companies that are going big and that are taking that big risk, 
um, you know, that means that I guess there's not a, um, there's, there's a lot of companies that are just staying small. So, you know, Metapad was the first company that I came across that really had those, those kinds of long-term aspirations. In terms of the culture itself, you know, I think that we had, it was, you know, it was a very small team. You know, I think that you, the, the, in, in a team like that, the culture is the sum of its individuals, really. Mm. I think we were lucky to have a very smart, driven, hardworking um, founding team, per se, who essentially really committed to both the idea of the long-term vision of the business, which is to um, add human years to the add, add years to the human lifespan, but also to what the business goals were. So you know what the what the business goals were in terms of becoming that leading digital health company globally. Um, and I think if you have enough crazy people in one room, um, that then leads to crazy results. Yeah, quite. And you guys have certainly made headway. Um... Tell me about the raise. I mean, you guys did a what was it, a twenty-eight million dollar Series mm. A round, which you know mm. is a, it's a you know it's a big round for Series. A. It's a big round in in health and and digital health and tech. Can you tell us a bit more about that? I mean, what what had you done with your seed cash to really enable that sort of raise? Yeah, so so it's actually interesting. So you know, the business, although it started somewhere around, I think eight years ago, actually now we initially were doing something completely different. So we were actually doing medical imaging to start with. And we were doing that for quite some time and it was relatively interesting until we realized that actually most of the value being lost in healthcare wasn't when the patient was in the hospital, it's when the patient had left the hospital. Um, you know, that's where you weren't getting any kind of engagement or communication or, or data transfer, which is ironic, you know, seeing as if you're doing the ideal job, let's say in healthcare, that's where your patient is hopefully spending most of their time, right, outside of the hospital. So around three years ago, we pivoted to focus on the remote monitoring solution, which is the current product, which essentially then started leading to um, a couple of dominoes falling that then led to the fundraise as well. One of the major ones there being that Apple selected us as a mobility partner to essentially as their sort of remote monitoring mobility partner, because they believed that the way that we had built the technology um, made sense. Um, you know, we built it in a fashion where it's, it's modular and it can be adapted to different situations. And, and they really liked the look of that. So, they partnered with us and started helping us both in terms of development, but also from a commercial perspective. And that's when we really started drawing the attention of, um, you know, people who, who, you know, did invest in this space. Yeah. Now the round itself for us was interesting because once again, we decided to do it quite differently to the way that probably most rounds in this space had done. So we didn't pursue any private equity or venture capital. The main reasoning behind that was it was, Predominantly, you know, it was it was the view, I guess, of the team and, and the people working with us. And, and I, I definitely echo that as well, that a lot of health tech companies failed because they were too eager to get on venture capital or private equity investment. What I mean by that is that at, at the time and maybe to a certain degree, even now, although I think that's very much changing now. But at the time, you know, you sort of had either investors that were investing in health you had invested the investors that are, were investing in tech. Now, if you're a health investor, you know, what you're investing in is really either clinical validity or outcomes or something along those lines, which not a lot of small companies have and not a lot of small companies can afford to purely focus on because the timelines are too long. Whereas if you're a tech investor, what you're looking at is, okay, well, how can I find the next 
Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, etc. Yeah. Which once again, when you're in a health environment, doesn't really work because it's too risky and it's slow to adopt. Um, so you sort of have to fit in one of those two camps and neither of them really echo what the business is. So we decided to, uh, I guess, we'll not sort of look at that for this for the Series A, but focus on people who are either institutional investors or um, high net worth individuals, um, build up a great network there and people who really believed in the vision of the business and then go from there. And that really led to, I guess, the current investor portfolio being people who are just as passionate about what we do as we do, um, as we are. Um, and beyond that, also have a long-term commitment to us as a business. You know, these are people who want to be with us for the next, you know, 50 years. You know, they're people who want to see that journey and want to see that growth. The focus isn't, the focus obviously, the work is obviously looking at, you know, raising evaluation as well. You know, let's, let's not say wise cost, but it's also about being along that journey and really seeing that large change being initiated. And that's been amazing because, you know, that's, that's meant that we've been able to do things that many other startups wouldn't have been able to do. You know, we've been able to keep that core of the business, which is, you know, doing something that isn't necessarily um, focused on one disease area, but is sort of slightly disease agnostic and can be used in a mul multitude of different ways to sort of solve different problems. You kind of had the privilege, didn't you, of being able to choose your investors, I guess. And the proofs in the pudding, you know, the, the, the path that you've chosen as you say, has given you the freedom and the bandwidth to really drive the business in the directions that you want. And, you know, as you say, you know, without that venture capital, private equity money, perhaps you're not on the clock as much as other companies are and things like that, which enables that vision of, of being long-term and here forever and mm. all these different things. And it, it sounds like it was a really good approach. I think, again, what's really interesting, what you said was this gap between, yes, there are investors in the life sciences space that rely, you know, they want clinical validity, randomized controlled trials, slow moving, robust evidence and things like that. And as you say, on the other side, there's the, there's the tech investors that that want the quick exits from from a piece of technology and a bit of code and i guess digital health is that entire space in the middle right where there are no mm. real native investors and it, it's interesting i mean that that is the exact reason that, that we're raising our fund at hs because we consider ourselves the the first investors that are i guess digital health natives mm. that truly understand the space um and it sounds like you would have welcomed an investor like that at the time yes yes no no definitely i think it's it's something that's sorely needed within the industry. I think that, you know, beyond anything, I think there's so many amazing technologies out there that simply don't get to the place where they need to because of, you know, various situations around people not understanding them or not understanding the process. Um, yeah, so I think it's, it's definitely very sorely needed. You guys are doing good work. <laughs> So tell us more about the product. I mean, you've mentioned a few bits and bobs about the remote monitoring and the and the standalone app and things. Mm. Tell us, yeah, I, I guess how it works, what the technology is. You, you use the phrase artificial intelligence and things like that. Mm. So, yeah, tell us how it works from a, I guess, from a customer point of view or a patient point of view. Mm. So I think, you know, the, the thing, so many people think that we have many products. Um, the truth is, is we have one centralized platform, which is essentially an app-based solution for the patient and a web-based dashboard dashboard for whoever the clients are. Now, the interesting thing about that solution is so the patient app is customizable to each individual patient cohort that we work with. Um, 
And the way that we do that is so we have a backbone of functionality that we call modules, which we plug and play in different ways to create different versions of the solution. So think of it as having a really big bag full of Lego blocks and being able to create millions of different multicolored houses for our clients using those Lego blocks. Now, each individual Lego block for us is a different digital health functionality. So it could be something like a medication tracker or custom, customizable patient-reported outcome questionnaires or even something disease-specific. For instance, for pulmonary hypertension, we developed a developed and validated a digitized version of the six-minute walk test. And mm. beyond the actual modules themselves, we've also started integrating different external wearables because you know our viewpoint there was why have 15 different apps for 15 different um, wearables when you could have one centralized solution where a lot of the wearable data was coming in. And then finally, really, we have sort of various different educational sections within the app, which are once again, customizable to client needs. So you, know, you can input anything ranging from a PDF, a video, a web link, anything along those lines. And that's sort of where, where we are and work from a tech perspective. And that then I guess modular and flexible structure allowed us to start growing into different verticals and start discovering the potential of the technology, really. Sure. Um, you know, we, we initially started purely within hospitals. And really what we wanted to be was a service improvement. Um, we're now, I think, you know, working with most of, if not all of the major teaching hospitals in the UK. I think we're launching, we're, going, we're, we're launching projects in over 88 trusts um, this year. Um, and we've also started working with the likes of Johns Hopkins and, and, um, and various other Chinese hospitals as well. Um, then once we'd done hospitals, you know, for a bit, we started getting interest as, as anybody who works in, with hospitals does, we started getting interest from life sciences businesses. Mm. Um, and we saw, and you know, that's, that's really where I guess I and the team started pushing, um, forward the pharma proposition and where that is now is, you know, we're becoming that sort of end to end solution from the start of the human trials and, you know, starting to collect data within that, but, you know, really continuing beyond that into your pre-launch and launch solution and even your sort of commercial solution with the platform changing itself in different ways throughout. And we've played in a couple of other sectors, I guess, um, so far, you know, we think that health is something that affects people regardless of whether if they're in a hospital or on a drug. Um, for instance, you know, we're, I think the most exciting of the other verticals for us is population health. Mm. Um, so we signed our first country, I think somewhere around, um, probably two years ago now, which was a tiny Island near the Bahamas called Turks and Caicos. Um, great place for meetings, by the way, if you're <laughs> ever in the area. I imagine it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that then led to the signing of a larger deal with the government of Singapore, where over the course of the next year, we will be developing, piloting, and deploying a solution that will hopefully be national and available to every type 2 diabetic patient in Singapore. Wow. So let's say I'm, I don't know, a hospital or I guess it could be a country or whatever it is. I, I come to Meadowpad and I say, okay, let's say I'm a hospital. I say, okay, look, here's my type 2 diabetes pathway. Here's all our patients in the community. We use this system. They do this questionnaire. We send out these things. We then bring these sorts of people these certain types of people in and these ones will go to acute care and i guess i map all of that out for you and do you then sort of plot your way with these lego blocks of all the different things like wearables and integrations and um i guess alerts for clinicians and things like that and do you kind of build it in a bespoke way for every for every customer exactly exactly so you know we build it in a bespoke way using the existing functionality that we have 
always centered around essentially what the problem statement is. So, you know, what, what we really have been quite good at, and I think what we've been very focused on is to always be solving a problem. Um, you know, we think putting in solutions for the sake of solutions is, is futile. We really want to be yeah. showcasing that we're making a difference. So we always sort of work around that problem statement. And I think the, um, the other benefit to, I guess, having the kind of functionality that we have is that since a lot of it is existing functionality, it takes us less than a week to put together a new version of the solution. Okay. So, you know, if you're somebody, if you're a hospital, for instance, who wants to now create an app for, you know, diabetes, as you mentioned, um, why do it internally over the course of a couple of months when you could do it probably for less of a cost with us in a week? Mm. And then, you know, pilot it, change it, adapt it very quickly to then sort of figure out exactly what works and then deploy it at a much larger scale. And it actually echoes, you know, some of the work that we were doing in the NHS initially where, you know, we were working with a couple of different cohorts and we're now seeing those, that work really becoming a standard of care. Sure. Which is something that we never really, you know, it's, it's a huge achievement for us and something where we, you know, as, as I mentioned, we started out as thinking we were a service improvement. Um, but, you know, really achieving that as being a standard of care in, in some initial conditions means that, you know, we've actually been able to achieve something that actually impacts patient lives, which sure. is, you know, awesome. And that is incredible. I mean, what other benefits have you seen then, I guess, for your customers? Is it is it efficiency savings? Is it money savings? Is it extra time for clinicians? Is it quality improvements or I guess all of the above potentially? I think it's I think it's been quite broad reaching. It's been quite a variety of different things. You know, it could be anything ranging from as you mentioned, sort of cost savings or, you know, being able to make smarter appointments based off of new data, um, keeping the patient engaged and informed and, and really empowered. I think that, you know, from, a, from the perspective of the industry, what we really want to do as a sort of slightly loftier goal is really empower and engage patients to take control of their care. And we think by allowing that, we can create sort of a ripple effect and, in terms of benefits across the industry. Um, so how yeah. are you doing that how are you empowering the patients using your technology what does that actually look like practically yeah definitely so I think as an example you know as I mentioned earlier the six minute walk test that we did for pulmonary hypertension so you know if you're not familiar with the disease it's a um, progressive and life-threatening condition whereby patients are continually put on higher and higher functional classes of therapy and essentially the issue with the disease in the UK and, and anywhere really is that there's not a lot of treatment centers. So in the UK, there's only six treatment centers for the disease. And those patients then have to go into one of those treatment centers um, to essentially do something called a six minute walk test to be assessed for where they are in the pathway. Now, because there's not a lot of centers, patients only really go in every six months or so. So anywhere between month one and month six, the, neither the patient nor the physician or anyone else knows exactly where the disease is. So what we did is we essentially created a solution where we developed a new module, which was a six-minute walk test, validated that module in a clinical study in the University of Göttingen, and then combined it with some of our existing features, such as the symptom tracking and questionnaires and, and some other stuff, to essentially create a solution tailored for pulmonary arterial hypertension patients to allow them to essentially, one, get a good understanding of where their disease was now. So you know, being able to do a clinical test, a six-minute walk test at home, and seeing those results immediately. Um, but then also have a sort of continual feedback loop with their clinician. Because they were able to do these tests and answer these questionnaires and symptoms and various other things with their, condition, with their clinician continually, the clinician could look at that data and then make 
um, more informed decisions based off of it. So instead of patients coming in every six months, some were coming in in month two because they were deteriorating quicker. Some were coming in in month nine because they were actually doing better. But the patient felt more empowered because one, they had a better understanding of their own condition. But two, they also felt like they were actually giving their clinician more information so that they would get better or I guess more targeted treatments. Um, the clinicians, on the other hand, felt that they had, you know, a, a larger pool of data to essentially be able to, to choose and pick from. And we're now sort of in discussions to scale that project quite broadly internationally. Um, we collaborated with Italian and are hoping that they could potentially be a partner for that. Um, but it's it's certainly one of the ones where I think we've delivered value across the continuum. Sure. No, it's really cool. It's It's awesome when you can do a project or, or you know release a product such as that that genuinely does put that control and and that feeling of empowerment to back into the patient you know we hear it a lot from from startups and we get a lot of applications to hs about um what what you mentioned about data and clinicians you know they're like oh if we put this monitoring on patients they can wear it at home you can get 24 7 amounts of data and all these things and that can go back to the clinicians and often people haven't really figured out what service actually is wrapped around that because ultimately you know hours and hours and hours of data is completely useless useless unless you can actually generate actionable insights Mm -hmm. and you know it sounds like from your you know pulmonary hypertension project you know those insights are clearly very actionable because patients are deciding on their own whether um they should come in early or 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 late and actually the clinicians i guess can probably call them in at the right times too yeah yeah definitely you know i think i think in that case you know the the clinicians are essentially looking at this data and saying okay well now i know how my patient is doing even though i can't see them so you know how does that then impact when i see them and you know how i treat them Whereas I think for the for the patients, you know, it's it's very much that kind of thing. You know, it's I don't I don't know how I'm doing. I don't only know how I feel. I don't know how I'm actually doing from a, you know, disease perspective today. But you know, I can check within six minutes, um, or essentially get you know the closest possible check um, from a digital perspective that I can within six minutes. And that's that's really awesome because you know I think one of the things that I think is very important in the NHS and really in, in any healthcare system is that sort of um, understanding and knowledge from a patient perspective. You know, I think that one of the primary, fo- primary focus points for us in healthcare should be the simplification of the system through more streamlined services and improved patient education. Yeah, completely you know, agree. Through our own work, we've, we've found that, you know, patients often feel lost and uninformed and, and um, really distressed too often during their care program. And if we can make things more palatable, accessible, and understandable for patients, I believe that that in and of itself can make a huge difference. And what other organizations do you work with in the UK and abroad? I know you've mentioned a few already, but clearly we've explored, you know, how, how it can work for a hospital that wants to get in touch with you to build something out. Can the same be said for a GP practice or other care organizations in the UK or abroad? How, what other organizations can you work with? Definitely. So I think, you know, our aim is to be able to work across the care continuum. I'd say that at the moment, we're predominantly working within secondary care. Um, the main reasoning is that the solution is very much tailored to those that are currently un- undergoing treatment for a certain illness. Sure. Um, and within that, we predominantly work within chronic and rare conditions. Um, but I think the view for us is that we're going to start expanding more and more into that sort of 
health and wellness space. So, you know, starting to work more with primary care, um, starting to work more outside of that with things such as corporate wellness. Um, you know, what we're really trying to ultimately achieve is, is that sort of one-stop shop for digital health, sure. which, you know, is, is a huge task, but um, one that I think we potentially have a shot at. Mm. In, terms of the, in terms of the UK itself, I think that, you know, we, we tend to sort of split into, into three camps, really. So uh, we're either working with the, the NHS and the healthcare system and various players within that, um, working with life sciences and med tech companies. So, you know, really working with the likes of J&J, Bayer, Novartis and others. Um, and then beyond that, also with, um, with insurance companies, um, which is a relatively new field for us. We've also dabbled in some other industries such as sport, um, but that's that's sort of pending a larger launch. Cool. Where are you guys at now with your global scale? Yeah, definitely. So I think um, it's, you know, what we really wanted to do as a business was um, make sure that we had sort of trenches in a way before we approached larger markets. Now, I think where most startups in the UK who are similar to us have gone is, you know, they've done as much as they can in the UK or they've done a lot in the UK and then they've gone to the US. Um, our view was that, you know, the U.S. is a very complex market and it's very difficult to gain traction unless you are seen as one of the larger or more successful startups. So instead of doing that, we decided that we would pursue China as an opportunity. Um, and, you know, Dan spent most of, you know, the past sort of three or four years really building up a network and system there that would allow us to be successful within that market. Um, Beyond that, also, you know, establishing partnerships with the likes of Tencent, who, you know, if, if people aren't aware of them, you know, are one of the largest global tech companies, I think worth over 700 billion now. Um, they own WeChat, which is essentially the go-to platform for almost everything in China. <laughs> um, but essentially, you know, we, we wanted to work on China and first before sort of really doing big work in, in, in the US, you know, and the exciting stuff that's happened within that is obviously Dan accompanied the prime minister on her trade visit to China um, last year or the year before that, I think. Um, we accompanied Matt Hancock on a further trade visit recently um, and have also established some very great ties with local key opinion leaders, hospitals, um, universities, and other institutions there where we're now starting to really see the benefit of the projects that we're starting to work on. Sure. You guys really are good at partnerships. I mean, you, you've, you've done so many key partnerships in the UK, and as you say, abroad, it seems to be like a real key strategy to sort of embed yourselves in the UK system because I assume a lot of learning goes on when you've done those partnerships to really understand, I guess, how you scale into those partners and I guess then treat them as customers. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I think we've, we've learned a lot from the likes of Apple and Tencent um, in terms of the work that we do. And I think that, you know, that's essentially because, um, you know, they understand this space, but more than that, they understand how to grow and run a business. Um, and that's been very influential in the way that we're, 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 we've been working. You know, I think the what we're really doing is standing on the shoulders of giants and mm. looking onto a different field. Let's say, I'd say in terms of the um, in terms of the partnerships themselves, you know, they've started evolving in different ways. So, you know, where we were previously focused on very much those partnerships with larger tech companies and research institutions, what we're slowly starting to do now is starting to partner with other digital health companies. 
Um, and so we established something at the, towards the tail end of last year called the platform program. Um, because, you know, when, when we were thinking about our strategy, maybe around a year and a half ago, if you want to build a holistic digital health solution, you can either compete with everyone or you can compete with no one. Yeah. And if you compete with everyone, that means that you're very likely to fail. <laughs> um, and if you compete with no one, then means you actually might have a shot. And so what we, um, what we did is we, we established the platform partner program so that we could start integrating other digital health solutions into our own. What sort of technologies? So mostly app-based technologies, um, but anything ranging from, you know, I can tell you, you know, the, the range is anything from some sort of um, AI related platforms um, to, you know, potentially more sophisticated um, measuring systems. So the first cohort launched last year, and that seven sort of companies across the globe that we identified were one, first in class, and two, um, relevant to the project work that we're doing. Mm. Um, as an example, for instance, one of them is a company called FibraCheck. Um, FibraCheck do an atrial fibrillation test using your smartphone camera. Um, but they are the first of their kind to have been FDA approved mm. and have a very, very high, I think above 99% accuracy rating in the, in the reportings that they do. Now, if you think about AFib testing being something that's obviously been in the public eye for a while with things like a live court and the Apple watch, yeah. um, doing it purely on a software based platform, you know, completely changes the game because we can essentially integrate that and have the same functionality as an alive core device, but at a minute fraction of the cost and with no need to have anything strapped to the patient. Mm. So they were one of the companies that we selected. You know, the others are things like our companies like tissue analytics who do wound analysis um, based on AI or um, for instance, your MD who obviously have a um, chatbot, an AI powered chatbot. What we really wanted to do is look at companies that had done that thing that I talked about previously, which is, you know, they had focused on a specific area and it really developed a, an amazing expertise in that area and how we could leverage that to both then help them access broader functionality and potentially benefit from the commercial scale that we've had so far, mm. but also then, you know, bring a broader solution to the client base that we're working with. Sure. So the partnerships then, so in terms of what that looks like, I guess, they come onto the platform. I guess there's an interoperability play and, and discussion mm -hmm. just to get all that sorted. And then that smaller company will then feel the benefit of your scale, customers, clients, et cetera. Is that kind of the, the deal? Yeah, exactly. You know, I think it's, it's essentially, you know, and don't get me wrong, you know, this is our first cohort. So there's, there's lots of stuff that we're all figuring out here. Um, sure. But, you know, from the, from the, from the, from my perspective, you know, they're, essentially reseller agreements um, or tighten knit reseller agreements where, you know, we are also integrating the platform into ours. Cool. Um, and when are you guys launching your next cohort? We're hoping to launch the next cohort in Q2. Okay. Are so, applications open? Um, yes, applications are open and you can actually go on our website and look at the um, application on there. Um, we will be selecting a likely 10 companies within Q2 that we're going to start working with. And they could range from anything like, you know, super small companies with less than 10 people to even sort of larger um, international corporates. You know, as an example, you know, one of the companies, as I mentioned, was, um, was Fibrocheck, who, you know, uh, are becoming a lot larger now after the FDA approval, but, you know, uh, we're still relatively small on the global scale of things. 
two companies like Medtronic, you know, as as one of the other oh, platform wow. partners, who are obviously a huge conglomerate, um, and integrating one of their solutions. So yeah, go to our website, cool. check out the platform partners, and uh, certainly if you're one of the companies that you think could contribute to the vision that we have, then please do apply. And what's on the table for 2019 for you guys? I know you're you're about what 120 people now. Um, are you going to expand any further? Yes, <clears throat> definitely. So we're targeting ourselves at quite a high growth rate. So we're looking to probably bring on board, looking at plans, probably um, 20 people a month, um, which is very high growth, but you know, sort of echoes the business that we have coming in and the aspirations. You know, I think from a talent perspective, what's been very important to us is one, being able to hire people who, um, who are going to be able to contribute to the vision that we have, but also hiring them in different ways. So the roles that we're hiring across are anywhere from, you know, clinical, business development, um, commercial and ops, finance, operations, anything that you can think a business would need, we need. Um, and the way in which we're going about it is, <clears throat> is really, I think, different to most businesses. So, you know, we're, what we're really thinking about is, you know, instead of hiring purely based off experience, we hire a lot for interest and passion. You know, and I think finding people that are going to really deliver 100% of their value to us as a business um, and really sort of grow with us. Mm. Beyond that, I think, you know, we, we don't have a sort of set number of rules where we're specifically hiring for this culture fit or that culture fit. You know, what we think is, what we believe as a company is, you know, we hire for the individual's values and then we try and build a culture around, around those people. So, you know, that's why I think when a lot of people ask me, for instance, you know, how much has the culture changed? You know, it changes with each with each new joiner, hopefully, you know, and, and it's always going to be different. And, and that's just something that we want and accept. And then I think finally, from the from the perspective of looking at the individuals and what who they are, we really want to bring on board people who are adaptable and open to change and thrive in change. You know, I think in this kind of environment, you know, we've taken that sort of everything changes in a startup model and doubled it and tripled it. So, you know, everything is constantly changing and, you know, the business is growing and there's constantly new people and it's very wild, but um, we want people who are going to thrive in that and be stable within that. Um, I think that, you know, Dan and, and me and certainly I think everybody, I think in the company, what we really think sets us apart is the people within the business, you know, and it goes back to what I was saying in terms of having, you know, a few crazy people to start with and being able to achieve crazy things with that. If we hadn't had that, it wouldn't matter what kind of software it was or, you know, how flexible it was or who we were talking with or partnering with. Um, because really the people were the backbone of, of getting that to where it is. And they continue to be very much so. Cool. So Alex, one more question from me, I guess, just before we close out, um, are you guys looking at any new products or particular technologies? What are your kind of bets for this year? So I think, you know, we're, we're definitely developing some of our own technologies and further validating the ones that we have. So um, as an example, obviously the work that we're doing with Tencent and Parkinson's disease, which um, has recently had some media, um, media focus is something that we're planning to validate and further validate really this year and launch. Um, so that'll essentially be um, AI that will be able to um, predict sort of early onset, onset Parkinson's through a video feed. Um, now, I think there's a couple of other things that we're looking at, which, um, which hopefully we'll be finding out about pretty soon. But 
it's going to be very much around developing some more validation around our own features and also integrating other platform partners. I think in terms of the industry itself, there's a couple of different things that I think are going to happen, not just this year, but I think in the years to come. You know, one is that I think that there's going to be a consolidation of sorts. So I think that, you know, there are going to be a lot of companies that are likely going to be acquired by a lot of the larger businesses. I think we're likely going to see the amount of new companies being founded um, rise and then probably slowly start to drop in 2020 as the market becomes more consolidated. And beyond that, I think, you know, it's, it's that sort of continual growth in terms of people being more comfortable with digital health. Um, you know, certainly from a life sciences perspective, you know, businesses being more open to taking a risk and sort of pushing something forward from a hospital and healthcare perspective, you know, people being more, um, I think, understanding and, and accepting of digital health technologies. And then finally, I think, you know, it's, and once again, this is on that sort of continual curve, but really patients starting to see this as part of their day to day, you know, and, and seeing it as part of, you know, normal disease management. I think if you look at the healthcare system as a whole, one of the things that we have to do if we're going to be able to sustain any healthcare system is really letting the patient and empowering the patient to um, manage themselves and stay healthy. You know, and if we can do that, then that means that there is less patients either getting more ill or deteriorating or contracting diseases or, or certain conditions to, to begin with. Um, so I think there'll be more and more people becoming hopefully more aware of their health and more, more, um, more, more, ma more managing it really than anything else. Um, I think there will also be a growth in investment, which, which, you know, hopefully you guys can confirm. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, people, as you mentioned, you know, I think, and obviously you guys are, are a great example, you know, there's going to be an emergence of people who understand health tech and now are able to invest in it. Um, and I think that that's going to reap benefits for all of us, especially if it's in an environment which is um, collaborative and understanding. I'm totally with you. More sensible investment for people who understand the sector and indeed more companies popping up that enable patients to look after themselves and, and empower them with their own care, I think, is a great vision for the next few years. Um, Alex, it's been a pleasure having you on. Um, the way we close out these podcasts is I will hand back over to you to summarize a little bit about yourself and, and what you're up to at Meadowpad. And if you've got any asks of our audience, um, feel free and drop an email address at the end for people to get in touch with you. Sure, sure. So um, so thanks everyone who's listened this far. Um, I hope that all of this has been relevant and interesting for everybody. Um, as mentioned, my name is Alex Gilbert. I work in partnerships at Meadowpad who are um, a hugely interesting and ever-growing digital health company um, focused on improving and extending patient lives through the use of a modular digital health technology. My asks of anybody in the audience are, um, firstly, be collaborative with each other. I think that it's very important within this industry that we support each other and help each other grow. As, as long as you adopt or we're in this together mentality, I think that that reaps benefits for everyone. In terms of asks for us specifically, you know, in terms of that spirit of being collaborative, certainly if you're a smaller company or a larger company in digital health, check out our platform program. Um, and if you're somebody who potentially wants to be a part of this insane, crazy world that we're living in here at Metapad, then by all means, please also look at the careers 
part of that website and you know either apply to something or or get in touch with one of the talent team um we're looking at probably over 240 roles this year so that's a that's a lot of great people to hire um and then finally you know if if you, if you want to get in touch with me or, or talk with anything um you can either reach out to me on linkedin at alex gilbert or um by email which is name.surname at metapad.com